This B-Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. Loved and trusted by more than 1 million teachers, IXL enhances your teaching and takes work off your plate so you can make an even bigger impact on your students. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights. Strengthen daily instruction, close knowledge gaps quickly, and set every student up for success. Want to bring IXL to your school? Learn more at IXL.com B-E. That's IXL.com B-E. We are proud to partner with MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Students can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, wind time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and so much more. Even my favorite, Synergy Time. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, my flex learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash B-E. Welcome to the Cybertraps Podcast. I'm Jethro Jones, coming to you from Washington, founder of the B-Podcast Network and author of the book, School X and How to Be a Transformative Principal. I'm a former principal at all levels of K-12 education. Greetings, everyone. I'm Frederick Lane, an author, attorney, and educational consultant based in Brooklyn, New York. I'm the author of 10 books, including most recently, Cyber Traps for Educators 2.0, Raising Cyberethical Kids, and Cyber Traps for Expecting Moms and Dads. Jethro and I have teamed up to bring timely, entertaining, and useful information to teachers, parents, and others about the risks arising from the use and misuse of digital devices. Over the coming weeks and months, we'll be talking to some of the world's leading experts from the fields of education, parenting, sociology, and cyber safety. Join us as we look at what it takes to better navigate our increasingly high-tech world. For more information or to donate to our work, please visit centerforcyberethics.org. The Cybertraps podcast is a production of the Center for Cyberethics, a 501c3 independent nonpartisan educational institute dedicated to the study and promotion of cyberethics as a positive social force through research, curricula development, publishing and media, professional training, and public advocacy. We're going to simulcast this on Transformative Principle and the Cybertraps podcast because Excellent. I'm doing a summer of AI series uh, on Transformative Principle where we're talking about all of this stuff. and. And the other thing that I've created is this thing called AIleader.info, which is where people can go to learn about it as school leaders so they can get a better understanding of it. And uh, I created what are called three-minute masterclasses where people can learn little bits about artificial intelligence in just three minutes because it's very complex, but it doesn't have to be that complex. And it's very unapproachable to understand how it really works. One of my gifts is being able to condense things down and explain it in three minutes or less. So um, so I've created that AIleader.info. Go check that out if you want. I think that's a really powerful place for people to get started. And the reason why we're 
talking about all of this stuff is because it's got everybody's attention and we want to help educators especially make good choices around it. Want to know one of my biggest frustrations with ed tech? Having too many tools and not enough time to use them right. They require too much training and it takes too much effort to implement it effectively. That's why it makes such a difference that IXL can do the job of dozens of individual tools. So I have everything I need for instruction and assessment in one place. IXL is research proven to accelerate achievement. Studies across 45 states show that IXL schools outperform non-IXL schools on state assessments and independent research from Johns Hopkins University verifies that IXL meets ESSA Tier 1 standards. With those results combined with IXL's teacher-friendly reputation, what more could you ask for? I'm sure you want to increase achievement for all students. Find out how IXL can help. Visit IXL.com BE for a demo. That's IXL.com BE. Hey there, Jethro. Hey, Fred. Long time no see. We are starting season four of Cyber Traps. Yeah. Fantastic. I noticed that we had crossed, uh, what, 100? This is our 155th episode, believe it or not. And I am, I am excited to rededicate ourselves to the climb to 200. So that's right. That feels it's gonna, good. It's going to be here before we know it. <laughs> Sounds excellent. Well, it is good to chat with you. We uh, have had a lot of things going on since we last chatted. Um, I think one of our more recent conversations, I was actually in Ghana. Yes. And that wrapped up at the end of March. I came back and good old COVID arrived and <laughs> slid through the apartment. And that kind of wiped out a chunk of time. But uh, knock wood, at least, we seem to have gotten past that. So. Well, good. I'm glad to hear that. And uh, thankfully, knock on wood, I still have not gotten that disease and hopefully <sighs> it will stay that way for the rest of my life. I am not encouraging you to try it. Yeah. <laughs> it's not a lot of fun. And I will say, I mean, I, I because of my quote unquote advanced years, I was able to get a prescription for Paxlovid very quickly. I actually started taking it the first night I felt symptoms. And it was a little annoying because I felt fantastic for the five days that i was on it like it was amazing oh, man amazing and then you go off it and like probably 20 or 25 percent of people boom it was like it was just lurking out there for me <laughs> so, so you you came back from africa you yes uh you and i both have been doing a lot of stuff around artificial intelligence over the last few months and yes we have um i've been uh, conferences for executive directors of principals associations. You presented at um, ASTI in Alaska, and um, and lots of conversations and opportunities around that um, because everybody's being exposed to it now. Speaking bigly, why are <laughs> why are we uh, able to be focused on it now? And even though it's been around for such a long time, like. Well, it's it's an interesting thing, Jethro, because the certainly the concept of AI has been around for quite a long time. No question about that. And you know, to be honest, um, you know, humans have explored the concept of artificial life for centuries. Uh, you know, probably the most famous example is um, Frankenstein. 
is literally, you know, it's alive. Think about, you know, yeah. <laughs> um, the great parody, Young Frankenstein. Um, so, you know, this is absolutely fascinating to human beings in general. I mean, we have one fairly well known method for creating life, but then the question is, are there other forms of life that we can create? What people are jumping up and down about right now, which is known colloquially as AI, has actually only been around for six months, for all intents and purposes, when ChatGPT was released in November 2022. And I think people should understand that what is being referred to as AI in the press is not actually AI. It's, it's what I would call predictive text. It basically consists of what are called large language models, which are able to produce intelligent sounding, quote unquote, uh, material, simply by taking vast quantities of text and breaking it down using incredibly sophisticated algorithms and making a, for lack of a better term, educated guess about what the next word should be in a given request. So for instance, if I go on to ChatGPT and I ask it to write an email to you, Jethro, I can give it certain parameters and it will write something in the tone I request um, but it will predict what it thinks the next word should be. And you can really tweak that with the prompts you write. As a matter of fact, there's a new career, a prompt engineer, which is just remarkable. Um, but that's the basic concept, is that these things take vast, vast quantities of data. They analyze it. And using that information, they try to predict what a rational sounding output would sound like. Yeah, and that's not intelligence. <laughs> it, it's not intelligence, but it almost is. And it is, uh, to be honest, the thing that has been so amazing to me is how it can do a good enough job for so many things. And sure, sure. I, I mean, I've got to say for the the vast majority of things that I typically write on a regular basis, mm -hmm. what it creates is totally sufficient. And so I created a a little tool uh called write better write w r i t e b e t t r.com writebetter.com and mm -hmm. what it does is it gives you an email address and you send an email to this email address and it will rewrite your email to be more professional. And that is that is it. Like what I wanted to do is give people an opportunity to try something out that was as simple as sending an email, which people do already. And whenever I demo it or share it with people, I yeah. say, first thing you should do is try this out. Uh, like just take an email that you've already sent to someone that wasn't really a great email and just forward it to it and see what it creates for you. And the thing that that's really remarkable about that is that I'm just using uh, no code code tools and uh, it's very simple for people to check it out and try it out and see what it's like. And that that is part of what has made this surge in in using these tools sure. so valuable is that it's so easy to get started and it's not complex and it's not difficult. Um, and ChatGPT made it so that it was really uh, simple for somebody to start using 
something like this and feel like they could, uh, you know, do something worthwhile. And, and I think that that is, that is really cool. So the idea of chat really started with Alan Turing and because you are the resident historian on our, on our podcast, (laughs) tell us about uh, Alan Turing and the Turing test and where that came from and why chat was the, the thing that makes sense. That is the thing that everybody is focused on right now. Well, this is definitely one of those, how much time do you have? Yeah. (laughs) Three minutes. Yeah, right. So I will not begin to do Alan Turing justice in three minutes, but let's just do the highlights real quickly. Um, British mathematician and computer scientist born in 1912, died in 1954. Um, He is most famous for his work during World War II in Bletchley Park which was where the code breakers of the Enigma machine were based. Uh, If you want to go see the imitation game with Kira Knightley and Benedict Cumberpatch, uh, you know, a little bit of, you know, historical license, but a really nicely done uh, portrayal of that period. And I think Cumberpatch as Alan Turing was just brilliant casting. In any case, in 1950, you know, he was he was a theoretical computer scientist. In 1950, he developed a um, proposed test for when we might be able to say that artificial intelligence has arrived. And his basic concept was that if you put somebody in a room and they're using a teletype to communicate with somebody or something and on the other side of the wall there is either a human being or a computer if the person at the teletype cannot tell whether or not the other respondent is artificial or human then you could argue that that device has now passed the turing test that we actually have achieved artificial intelligence and it's a little bit facetious to call him the father of chat because i don't think he had any idea you know what this might end up being used for but really chat gpt or bing or jasper or some of these other ai fueled services are pretty much answering the turing test right if you sit down there are lots of people who are using chat gpt as a therapist Um, Quite honestly, you could easily persuade yourself that you're getting a human response from these uh, chat engines. And it's it's really remarkable stuff. You know, when you were talking, uh, Jethro, I also have used uh, ChatGPT for a number of quote unquote mundane tasks. And it's really, really helpful to get started. What where things start to get a little bit freaky, and this is something people should really play around with is when you give it something that requires it to come up with unexpected responses. And my quick two-second example of this is I was reading a Vanity Fair article about a woman who uh, went and worked on the set of a Hallmark Christmas movie. And they churn these things out by the dozens every year. You know, It's just a cottage industry and, and people sit down and watch them. And I was wondering if I could get ChatGPT to put together a movie pitch for a Christmas Hollywood Hallmark type movie, but incorporating technology. So it came up actually 
with a secret organization called ELF that was going to be responsible for retrieving Santa's naughty and nice list. And yeah, you'd want to work it and tweak it a little bit, but you know, you could run with it. And it came out of the blue. There's no precedent for that, right? So that to me says we're dealing with some stuff that's a little bit fuzzy, you know, in terms of how we interact with it. Well, yeah. And especially as it relates to education, lots of people are using it to create uh, lesson plans and assessments and all kinds of things. And I think there's, there, there is a lot of power in being able to come up with some off the wall things. And I really, the, the big surprise is that we thought that AI was going to take over all these low level jobs before, but now <laughs> right. it seems like it's, it's taking over all these things that we thought computers could never do. And it turns out they're actually pretty darn good at it. Well, it does say something about the legal profession, that a yeah. fairly large number of legal interns and low-level attorneys are losing their jobs, you know, particularly in corporate paper mills where they're just churning out one contract after another. I got to say, if you've got a database of several hundred thousand contracts, you don't need an attorney to come up with a new version of that. Right. You know, you can put parameters in, you can tell it what it what you want. And I think that's that's actually a really important point for people to be aware of. Yeah, I, I think so, too. And it's it's something where that relates to uh, standardized education as well. And on the Transformative Principle podcast, we're talking with some people who who are in that space and creating content and lesson plans and things like that. And the reality is, and, you know, people in education don't like it when I say this, but if we if we know that there's a specific way to teach something that every single kid is going to be able to learn if we teach it that way, then why are we wasting time and energy with a human being who's going to not teach it that way when we know that there's a right way to do it and that mm -hmm. can be replicated. And like, if that's the case, we really should be having a computer teach that if we know that there's a quote unquote right way to do it, that leads to, kid success. And so for example, kids need to know how to read and if if we can teach them how to read in a fast and efficient way, then we can use the adults and paid teachers to do other things. One of the one example of that that I experienced many years ago was this program called Imagine Learning, which is mm -hmm. a a program for kids who are learning English here in the United States who come from other countries. And one of my schools uh, was a top 10% school uh, using that because I just yeah. saw with my own experience, my own two eyes that the students who did imagine learning did better at speaking English and reading and understanding English. And so I was like, look, let's make it part of our day that these kids are on this application using it on a regular basis because it helps them and what they need is exposure. And if we can get condensed exposure and help them learn what these vocabulary words are and understand the sentences, like it's going to make a huge difference. And sure enough, it did. And these kids did great mm -hmm. and they improved on their abilities, but more importantly, they were able <laughs> to communicate more effectively because we basically said, you have to spend an hour doing this every single day 
doesn't matter yeah. what else you got going on that an hour every day. And, and we saw results very quickly from that. And I mean, it, so I had a teacher who basically made sure kids were on it. Wasn't a very good use of her time in the moment, but because kids were able to progress through it quickly, she could do other things with them because of what they were learning there. I think that's going to be the big question right there though, Jethro, isn't it? What are the other things you know, that teachers can do if they're incorporating this technology. And I, you know, you've got the frontline experience, which is huge for this kind of discussion. So I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this. You know, if we look at ChatGPT as a tool, perhaps for teaching writing or helping with reading or uh, theoretically with programming, right? You know, one of the things that I think people are really going to be concerned about is if I'm a programmer, yet chat GPT or its equivalent can spit out code in an, in a nanosecond, what do I do? You know, what where's my value added in that particular situation? And I think that's a question a lot of educators are going to be asking. I mean, this is this is kind of the meta cyber trap for educators, right? We're going to use this technology one way or the other. How do we incorporate it in ways that help preserve the expertise of teachers? Yeah, I I think that's a really great question that I don't think we have the answer to yet. No, I don't think so either, yeah. Let's talk about flex time in schools. If you've been listening for a long time, you know how important I think this is. It gives us more time for personalized learning, increasing choice and agency for students, and the increased enrollment that comes with it dedicated time for intervention and enrichment. And overall, as school leaders, it gives us and our faculty more tools to increase academic achievement. But the implementation and management of flex time can be so tough. Tricky logistics and a lack of clear accountability systems can prevent teachers from buying in and can hold us back from ensuring students make good use of their time. I'm pleased to share that MyFlex Learning provides a solution to these challenges and more. MyFlex Learning helps you create and manage flexible time for any purpose. And with seamless SIS integration, a student locator, flexible daily rostering, and an intuitive mobile app, it eliminates the common challenges of implementation and management. Want to see for yourself? Visit MyFlexLearning.com B to learn more about it and receive $500 off the first year of use. That's MyFlexLearning.com B-E. I, I think that it's going to take some evolution as with all technology. We're like, how do we, how do we start by, you know, just replacing what we're already doing and then we can, you know, start to adapt it and do things differently that will be more meaningful and beneficial to what, what we're trying to do. But at the very least, you know, if, uh, if we can save hours by using this technology and mm-hmm. make it so that if nothing else, the teacher just doesn't have to go home and plan lessons and spend as much time planning lessons. To me, that's a big win right there that we can improve their sure. quality of life by having that be an opportunity for them. Well, let me give you a couple of examples real quickly, because I've been researching this area for some of the stuff that I've been doing. And, you know, there's as you know, with the cyber traps, obviously, there's always good and there's, there's bad. So, you know, there were a couple of teachers in England who did something similar to what you did in terms of incorporating AI. They, they did this, I think, probably four months ago. 
but they created a website that you could go on to and you could type in a series of bullet points about each of your students and their website would automatically generate a year-end review. And it was literally doing what you're talking about, saving teachers hours from kind of a repetitive task. But, you know, clearly the, the teacher knew the relevant bullet points for each of their students. They just didn't have to compose the structure around those bullet points. And, and that I thought was really interesting. The flip side, and we're just starting to see the potential issues for educators, is number one, using ChatGPT in inappropriate circumstances. So for instance, there was one administrator who uh, following a um, mass shooting used ChatGPT to write a note to the school community. And it was just clearly artificial and it it lacked any real compassion or empathy and people picked up on that. So that was stupid. And then the other thing that, that has popped up and actually um, this has been in higher education as well, is the potential to use the existence of ChatGPT to harass students. And by that, I mean, if a professor or a teacher has uh, an issue with a student, ChatGPT can be an excuse to downgrade that student by the teacher saying, I don't recognize this as part of your writing style, so I'm going to assume that you use this new tool. Now, of course, kids are, but I think there's a real risk if teachers are using that as an excuse to um, to punish or in some ways denigrate one of their students. It's very hard to check both pro and con as to whether or not someone used ChatGPT to actually do an assignment. Yeah, and it's so it's so fascinating because that's one of the things that we should really do a whole episode on, on whether or not we should be looking for, whether we should be calling that cheating or not, or whether we right, should be exactly. looking right. for it or seeking it out or or what? And the reality is, is that so many of the great books, especially that are written today that we love, are written by not the author. And <laughs> I know that that upsets you as someone who does write his own books. But um, but not a recent... I've done go I've done ghostwriting, you know. So. Yeah. <laughs> so, see, it's out. It's out. So the 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 the. I, the most popular book that was open about it is called Who Not How by Dan Sullivan and Benjamin Hardy. And okay. in that book, Ben Hardy is the one who's actually writing it. And they say it from the very beginning that Dan Sullivan, the whole premise of that book is you should you should look for who can do something, not how you can accomplish something. And so in that book, he said, my philosophy is, I should find the person who can do the work and the b work of writing is Ben's job. And my job, Dan is to, to say, this is what's going to be in the book. And then Ben is going to write the whole book. And that is exactly what happened. And they actually explain how that worked. And mm -hmm. uh, it's nice that, you know, uh, Ben got a, a co-author credit on that instead of just being a ghostwriter and not right. Tell me about it. <laughs> not having not having his name on there at all, but but that's something that is really uh, a, a distinction that 
we we think that you know for students if they if they use chat gpt then they are quote unquote cheating when really they're just using another resource at their disposal to help them if they use spell check on their computer when they were typing it would we still say that they were cheating no we'd say they were working on creating a professional and good final draft and there's we wouldn't say there was anything wrong with that at all and um anyway we can get more into that in a further episode oh, we we, but... we certainly should and i think you know I, my working title almost immediately for that episode is a calculator for words because that yeah. is what we're dealing with you know i i came through the school system when calculators were in exactly the same position as chat gpt people were freaking out about the fact that i could buy a cigarette case size calculator with red led lights yeah. which had had i think four functions i'm not sure if it had all four but in any case it was a very old calculator and there were real consequences if you brought a calculator into school but of course everybody knew the kids were using them at home right yeah. so mm -hmm. the question became and i think that you know other other um subjects have gone through this how do you change the way you're teaching and how do you change your student assessments so that the tool is not determinative of the outcome? And I think that's really what we're going to see happening over the next few years is people really saying, well, you know, <laughs> they're going into a world now where generative text is a reality. So how do, what, what do we need to educate for that world as opposed to one in which it doesn't exist. Yeah. And and that's really the question that we need to be asking. And that's the question that you and I are going to continue to be asking as we go through all of this. And there's a lot more to come as we talk about this. And, and I encourage people to uh, keep listening, share this episode, and reach out to us if you have questions or thoughts about what we should be talking about on here, because this is uh, these are big questions. And I think a lot of people are are looking at it uh, in different ways than you and I are. Right, which is wonderful because it it's such a um, overarching technology that it's going to touch everybody. And so everybody's going to have a perspective on what its role should be. How do we integrate it into what we do? Um, some people are going to be saying, how do we kill it? Which is a whole different <laughs> conversation. Yeah. But I will say to people that there's a wide range of topics in the show notes for this particular episode that we did not get to, but very much like a prompt for chat GPT, we will use these to seed our conversations right. in the future. <laughs> and, um, you know, whether or not uh, we actually get chat GPT on here to uh, engage in a dialogue, that's a different question, but we could probably figure out actually how to do that. Uh, yeah, actually I did do that on episode three fifty seven of transformative principle. I believe, uh, I had, um, I use an AI voice for the whole entire episode and oh, wow. I use chat GPT to generate much of the script, not all of it, but a, a ton of it. And so yeah. um, I definitely encourage people to go check that out because uh, I will do that. Actually, that sounds cool. really, yeah. <laughs> well, actually just as a sneak preview for February, assuming that I get a chance to go back up to ASTI, uh, one of the tentative um, presentation ideas is to work with an educator up there and have a basically talk off between 
uh, Bing, for instance, and ChatGPT or whatever the leading candidates are at that point. So uh, all I can tell you is that seven months from now, we don't know what's going to be going on. So yeah, we will that, is, that is the truth. <laughs> Excellent stuff. All right, Jethro, that wraps up this episode of the Cybertraps podcast. In the coming weeks, we'll continue our coverage of emerging trends, and none get more emerging than this, than this one, in a variety of areas, including digital misconduct, cyber safety, cybersecurity, privacy, and the challenges of high-tech parenting. Along the way, we'll talk to a growing collection of international experts who are helping us to understand the risks and the rewards of digital technology. You can find the Cybertraps podcast on all of your favorite podcast apps. We hope that you'll share the show with your friends and colleagues and reach out to us if you have guest qu guests, questions, or topic suggestions. If you'd like to follow us on Twitter, I'm at Jethro Jones and Fred is at Cybertraps. And if you're still listening, man, you must have loved this conversation. So please leave us a five-star rating and review in your podcast service. We appreciate having you with us and look forward to having you join us on our next episode. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flexible time without all the headaches you get with it usually. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com BE. Do you want to save time on prep work, increase student achievement for all of your students, reliably meet tier one standards? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com B to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve these goals. That's IXL.com B-E.